show of hands, just quick quiz, who considers themselves to be, if you know this story, you don't have to answer if you don't know this story, but who falls more in line with the Marthas of this world? You feel more like a Martha, okay. How about if you feel like a Mary? All right, a couple of you, that's good. If you're like somewhere in between, you're like a Martha. Anyone out there, uh, Marthas? No? Okay. Uh, it's, it makes sense, actually, that we have more Marthas than Marys. I mean, we're a new church, right? So you, it takes a lot of like, activity and doing, a lot of uh, work to start a, a church. And I think uh, maybe there's something to it. Uh, church plants attract Marthas. Let me uh, pray for us, and we'll get started. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for Marthas. Thank you for Marys. I pray that we would all be challenged here tonight. Uh, And if we don't know who we are, would we simply just find ourselves in you, find ourselves in Jesus? It's in his name we pray, amen. So we are looking at Luke chapter 10, uh, verses 38 through 42, and I wanted to start by talking about ministry burnout, church ministry burnout, because I think the story of Martha and Mary teaches us about ministry burnout. Now, maybe some of you know what this is, maybe some of you don't. Uh, But churches, I think, have a way of burning people out. Maybe it's bad to say that from up here, but I think let's just admit the obvious. Uh, So what is this kind of phenomenon? I want to take you through just like an imaginary story of perhaps a a couple that comes to our our church for the first time. So let's picture uh, Benjamin and his wife, uh, Olivia. We'll give them the last name Smith. Uh, They're in their early 30s, uh, and they have arrived at Cornerstone. Now, we're just grateful they walk through the doors, right? We're like, yes, you're here. Uh, And so we have conversations, we greet them, we welcome them, and we pray that they will come back the next week and begin to make Cornerstone their home. And lo and behold, they do. They come back the next week, and we are so excited, we invite them to a fellowship dinner. And that's that's like the first hook. We're just going to bring you and come to a fellowship dinner so we can get to know you more. And when, we at that, when we're at that fellowship dinner, we begin to have conversations with them. And we find out that Benjamin, well, he, he plays the drums. And we're like, oh, you play the drums? What are you, how are your Wednesday nights? Are your Wednesday nights uh, free for a worship team practice? And we find out Olivia, well, she is interested in children. So we're like, oof. We have a ministry for you. That's our our children's ministry. And they keep coming back and they get involved in the church. And pretty soon, uh, Benjamin is playing the drums and Olivia is downstairs uh, on the the children's ministry helping and volunteering. And that's great. But then suddenly, like they're not sitting together in service anymore. uh, And they're both busy. They both have tasks to do. And occasionally, they help out with the, the welcome team as well. And then Well, they hear about outreach events, right? They hear about the trunk or treat or the apple blossom parade, and they think, oh, those are good things. Like, we want to reach out to our community, so they sign up for those as they're trying to balance life and jobs and careers. And then, well, Pastor Jonathan keeps talking about this little thing called front lines, where they're supposed to have, like, their neighbors and their coworkers in their lives and spend time with them, and that takes more of a capacity to to do. And Pretty soon they notice their like bandwidth, it's getting fuller and fuller, and they're just, they're just getting tireder and tireder and more exhausted. And they want to join in more activities, serving, but, but they're, just, they're just starting to, to burn out. And I think we've all been there, right? We've all experienced like an, 
an overabundance of ministry opportunities. And they experience that. And so on some weeks, when they're not on the worship team or volunteering on children's ministry or helping greet people, they, they might take a week off. They might go on a date night. Can we really blame them, right? Because they're so busy. I think we're, we're, we, we, we kind of set ourselves up for the situation because, well, A, we want to get to know people. And what better way to get to know people than to serve alongside them? And then B, well, we don't want to get burned out. <laughs> we're tired. And church is about doing ministry, right? So let's, let's all do ministry together. Let's serve together. Many hands makes light work. And, uh, you know, we, we want to get to know them. We want to be with them. We want to love them. But somewhere along the line, they get busier and they have less time for things like personal devotions with the Lord. <laughs> they have less time for small groups. They just have less time in general. Today, we're talking about Martha and Mary. And I think Martha teaches us about ministry burnout. <laughs> I think Martha teaches us about service, about serving and doing a lot of good things, but somehow missing the point. And so we don't want to miss that, right? Like we, we started this church or you've come to this church because you want to get to know Jesus. You want to make sure you're focusing on the right things. I want to make sure I'm focusing on the right things, on the right person. And so hopefully we will do that as we come to this text. Now, before we look at the end of chapter 10, we started in chapter 10 last week. We talked about the 72. And in the middle of this passage, there's the story of the Good Samaritan. I didn't preach on it because we preached on it at Cornerstone. You can find it on the website. But the story of the Good Samaritan uh, starts out uh, with an expert of the law. He, he, he stands up and he asks Jesus a question. He says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, well, what is written in the law? And the Pharisee answers, well, pretty much love the Lord, or the lawyer answers, love God and, and love your neighbor. And then Jesus tells the story of who a neighbor is, the Samaritan, and how he loves a person who is down and, and wounded. And at the very end of this story, Luke chapter 10, verse 37 Jesus sums up the story like this. He says, or he kind of, this is the action at the end of the story. He says, go and do likewise. Go and do likewise. So is that passive, like go and just do nothing? No, it's go and do something. See, there's a call in the Bible to do ministry, to, to reach out, to serve, to care for the needy, to care for the poor, to, to be ministering to those around us. And I think we can extend that call to the church body. There's a call to to, to, to serve as part of a church body. But I think Luke places this story here in the text. I actually don't think it's organized chronologically, but I think Luke puts the story of Martha and Mary right here in the text to remind us that it's not all about doing. <laughs> it's not all about ministry. It's not all about being active and serving. Jesus also wants us to be like Mary, who just sits at his feet and soaks the master in, soaks the rabbi in. And so, as we begin to think about this theme, I want to open with our, uh, I want to give you the big idea up front. 
that we're to do less for Jesus, to be with Jesus more. That's the big idea. Do less for Jesus, to be with Jesus more. We're going to just break this into two halves. And the first one is do less for Jesus. I'm going to read verses 38 through 40 again. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Now, I don't know if you've heard a sermon on Martha or Mary before, but sometimes there can be this tendency to just like jump right in and condemn Martha. To be like, Martha is the worst, and she's not. She made it into the Bible. Can any of us say that? Like, she's in here. And so I want to start by saying something positive about Martha, that Martha is doing a good thing. Martha is showing hospitality to the Lord. God has clearly gifted Martha to have uh, an ability to serve and to host and to care for others. And she is serving Jesus, and this is a good thing. We should be uh, kind of pro-Martha as we begin to read this story. She opened her home to Jesus. (laughs) He's been on this journey as we watched in the video, and, and she opened her home to 12, like, Disciples, 12 smelly men. Uh, I mean, that takes guts, right? She's hosting them. She's feeding them. Perhaps they're, she's even cleaned their feet. She has the gift of service, the gift of hospitality. Now, if we look at some of the original language, in verse 40 it says that Martha was distracted by all the preparations. This word for preparations is diaconia, and it means to serve, service. Now, maybe some of you are familiar with that word diaconia because it sounds like deacon. Well, this is the same word. This is where we get the word deacon. Uh, So (laughs) we just had Diana up here reading the scripture, and she admits she is a Martha, right? And uh, she is also a deacon of the church. Well, that makes sense, because she likes to serve, and that's what deacons do. They serve the needs, the logistical, the material needs of the church. So there's nothing wrong with just being you, Diana. It's okay. (laughs) Deacons are good. Now, I want to point out that this word, sometimes it's translated service, but also it's translated ministry. See, there is a physical component of service, just the act of doing something for someone, but there's also a spiritual component to service, isn't there? And that's why I think it's fair to say ministry. You're doing ministry when you're doing this material thing. God cares about what happens in real life and in reality, God cares when people's needs get met, when they're fed or, or they're visited in the hospital. Like These are all physical, tangible acts of service, but they're also spiritual. There's a spiritual component to them. And so we want to applaud that. See, ministry isn't just an abstract thing. It's also a concrete reality. And Martha is serving Jesus concretely. And I'm sure many of us serve this church service concretely as well. 
right? Whether you're a deacon or we just saw some people up here on the, the worship, uh, the, the platform, they were serving the church concretely with their gifts, and yet there was also a spiritual component to it. See, when we serve tangibly, physically, it has eternal worth. It has heavenly worth. It has heavenly value. And that's important. And so we want to highlight that. Thank you, Marthas. Thank you, Marthas. I'm grateful for every Martha in this room. Now, the story doesn't end there, does it? <laughs> Jesus does uh, have some things that Martha needs to learn. See, Martha is doing a good thing, but Martha is doing a good thing the wrong way. So she's serving Jesus, amen, amen, but then she actually begins to forget Jesus or not prioritize Jesus. Let's look back at the text again. Verse 40, she says, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Like, how do you answer that question? <laughs> it's a leading question. Tell her to help me. Tell her to help me. Tell her to help me. That word tell is an imperative. An imperative is a command. See, Martha has gone to all this trouble <laughs> to welcome in this, this well-known rabbi. She's put a lot of care, a lot of thought into it, maybe as much care and thought as you would put into hosting maybe a, a movie celebrity that you like or a, a government official or maybe a Christian speaker that you like. Martha is like the Martha Stewart, right? She's going to, to the next level to serve Jesus, but then right here she turns around and treats him disrespectfully. She commands the rabbi. <laughs> she tells the rabbi what to do. She, see, she begins to use the rabbi to accomplish her own ministry goals, <laughs> her own service goals. See, she, is, she has this vision in her head of just like this beautiful meal. There's laughter. There's good teaching going on. And maybe she has this vision of like people leaving the house afterwards and being like, man, we had just, what a wonderful time at Martha's house. What a wonderful time. She has her plans. <laughs> she has her vision. And she tells Jesus to bless it, and we never do that, right? Like, we, we would never do that in our context as a church where we'd say, Jesus, I have all these plans. You better bless it. <laughs> bless it, or, or, or like that's your only option, Jesus, is just to bless my plans. And when, when Jesus has other plans than our plans, I don't know about you, but I can get frustrated. I can begin to blame those around me just like Martha blames Mary and Jesus too. Lord, uh, that outreach event would have just gone so much better if Olivia and Benjamin Smith had showed up and helped volunteer. <laughs> Lord, why didn't they show up? Well, maybe God had plans for them somewhere else on on their front line, or they just needed a, like, a day to be together away from all the busyness. Maybe God is filling them up so that they can come back and serve anew in a different capacity. But see, we get so caught up in what we want to accomplish for Jesus, what we want Jesus to accomplish for us, that, that we can forget that Jesus is our king. 
Jesus is our rabbi. He's the master. We're to, we're to come and to sit at his feet and tumble our hearts before him. Now, I don't think Mary's bad. She's not an evil character. She's just doing something the wrong way. <laughs> and we've all been there, right? I do things the wrong way all the time. And so Luke records this kind of negative story about Martha, but he also gives us kind of a positive option. So he starts with Martha, and then he leads us to Mary. Oh, and I do want to focus, before we go, on Luke 10, 27. I was reminded as I was, uh, no, before we go, before we go to the next point, I was reminded as we were, uh, as I was looking at this passage of one of the books we read as a church when we started this church plan. Now, obviously not everyone was here for that, but we read this book called Top 10 Most Common Mistakes in New Church Starts. And the very first one from chapter one was elevating the great commission above the great commandment. The great commission is to go out and make disciples, right? To do, to do ministry, to serve. And we elevate that above the great commandment. Maybe some of you know what the great commandment is. We've already talked about it a little bit. But it's this, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind. That's the first commandment. And then we have the, kind of the second greatest commandment, and love your neighbor as yourself. But notice it doesn't say love your neighbor as yourself and then love the Lord your God. It says love the Lord your God and then love your neighbor. So we're going to focus on loving God and then loving those around us. First on being with God and then doing for God. And doing with God. So I wanted to highlight that because that, that, that verse comes right before in the story of the Good Samaritan. Luke is laying the groundwork so when we go into the story of Martha and Mary, we remember this. All right. So do less for Jesus. That's the, kind of the point of Martha. Now, be more with Jesus. That's the, the counterpoint, the, the positive point. Be more with Jesus. I think... Mark brought this up in our preaching breakfast. It's like a song, doobie, 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 do. And that's what, like, that's like what we do with our, our, our Christian faith. So we like do, be, do, be, do. That's a solid point. <laughs> All right, we're going to focus on the being now. That was not in my notes. Luke 10, 41 through 42. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. We need to stop and just remember how much Jesus loves Martha. Like, there's tenderness like, you can still see the tenderness 2,000 years later in a different translation. Martha, Martha. Jesus loves Martha. Jesus loves her. But he's also not afraid to correct her and call her to repentance, to, to call her to change. But I like, I like that Jesus starts with implying his love for Martha. See, we need to remember that too, right? If we're going to change at all, if something about our lives is going to change or the way we do ministry, we need to first be reminded of the love of Jesus Christ. And that love is not conditional. 
See, I often feel in my heart that God's love for me is conditional on me doing for Jesus. That's not true. God just loves us. Jesus laid down his life for us on the cross. Like that is, the the cross is the most beautiful symbol of God's love for us, that he is willing to lay down his son for us, lay down the life of his son for us so that he could pay the penalty for my sin, for your sin, for your sin, so that if we repent and put our faith in Jesus, we receive eternal life. Jesus right now in our story, like we watched on the video, he is on the, on, on the way, he is on the road to the cross. Jesus loves the Marthas of this world because he laid his life down for them. I don't know about you, but when I think of this, when I remember this, like I feel loved. <laughs> I feel loved. Someone would actually lay down their tangible, concrete, real body life for me. And it's, what's, it's once we are reminded of that that we can hear the next call, the call to recognize our sin. See, Jesus calls Martha to recognize her sin. It says, you are worried and upset about many things. You're, you're anxious and you're troubled. All these ministry plans, all these good ideas have got you just tightly wound. And you're, you're no fun to be around. <laughs> I think my wife said that to me before. Jesus calls her to, to recognize her sin. That she has taken her eyes off of Jesus and has put it on, on her plans. And because of that, she's full of anxiety and worry and, and afraid. And so Jesus is pointing out her sin, but then he's, he's calling her to repentance. <laughs> and he gives her a positive example. Her sister. <laughs> Few things are needed or only one. Your sister knows what she needs. She needs me. (laughs) Martha, you need me as well. Mary is choosing the one thing that matters, Jesus himself. I don't know about you, but when I walk out of here, I want to choose Jesus. (laughs) I want to be like Mary who's not worried, who's not upset, who's not troubled, and is choosing Jesus. She's just sitting at his feet and soaking her rabbi in, her teacher. Uh, In this culture, uh, this is kind of an unusual moment. See, in this culture, the women, the, the mothers, the daughters, the sisters, they were given the household. They were entrusted with household duties, running running the house, preparing food. These are all important responsibilities, but the girls weren't educated. Like the men were educated, uh, and then they were kind of the ones who would do more of the labor. And so as we look at this, we, we, it's good to understand some of the, the historical context that, you know, women could go and they could sit in a synagogue, they could learn from teachers, but they, they didn't really become disciples of rabbis. And right here, Mary, she is taking the posture of a disciple. She's sitting at the feet of a rabbi. Paul in Acts, I don't have the verse for you, but he says that he studied under, I think it's Gamaliel, 
He studied under him. So there's like this posturing. He was under his rabbi. Mary is saying, Jesus is my rabbi. I'm his follower. I'm his disciple. I'm not one of the 12, but I'm one of the extended disciples. I'm one of his students. And so when Martha comes out, like, she's... She's Mary's family, and she's saying, this is not the proper way. You're supposed to be helping me. <laughs> Culture is saying, Mary, that's not the proper thing to do. Like You're supposed to be working. She's against culture, but she is choosing Jesus. Maybe some of you have family members that likewise tell you, don't follow Jesus. <laughs> Jesus makes you into a weird person. <laughs> Jesus isn't someone that we want you to affiliate with. We, you're a Christian now? That's weird. It takes guts to follow Jesus. It takes guts to choose him. Mary chooses Christ. And we have a culture, too, that gives similar messages, not just to like not choose Jesus, but culture also tells us that our worth is found in what we do. We're, like, we don't remember people that didn't accomplish anything <laughs> or, or weren't like incredibly productive or sort of a hero. Like, we don't elevate the normal person very often. Jesus is fine with the normal person. <laughs> Jesus is fine with the Marys of this world who don't achieve anything but sitting at his feet. Amen. Now, how does Mary sit at Jesus' feet? And this is going to begin to bridge the gap a little bit more to our lives here today. Verse 39, I'm going to hop back to it. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet. So she's taking a posture of listening to Jesus. She's listening to what he said. This word said is the Greek word logos. She's listening to his words. She's listening to the words of Jesus. That's how she's sitting underneath him. See, we don't have Jesus tan like physically here today. He is physically in heaven. But we can still sit at his feet. We can still sit at his feet by just listening to his word, hearing his words. That's how we take the posture of Mary, learning our Bibles, learning the scripture. First, we're, I think we're called to take individual responsibility and, and do this personally. Have a quiet time. Have a, have a time where you are meditating on God's word. And we might not always be able to have quiet times every day. So you can meditate on the go, on the commute. You can listen to your audible Bible. Pull it up on your phone. But focusing on God's word. I wanted to ask kind of a challenging question, but uh, this is a rhetorical question, but hopefully it, it challenges us. Like, is, is this 35 minutes that I'm preaching, is this the only time you will spend in the Bible this week? How about this service, hour and 15 minute service? Is this the kind of the majority of your time, like fellowshipping in God's word, hearing the songs, hearing the word? Is this the majority of your time this week? What if you only ate one meal a week and you had 35 minutes to get as much food into your stomach as possible? Well, you would not be very healthy. You would be hungry like 
all of the time and then you would feel sick. Let's sit at the feet of Jesus daily. That ties a little bit into our foundation verse. Pick up your cross daily and follow him. Sit at my feet daily and listen to my words. And that doesn't mean we're each gonna have an hour. <laughs> it might be a snack some days, but at least you're, you're, you're getting in the word. There's lots of devotionals. There's lots of resources. We don't lack resources in this country, but we might lack the will. We might lack the heart desire. So let's repent. Let's be like Martha. Be like how Jesus calls Martha to repentance. Okay, so that's individually, but let's, let's talk about this a little bit more corporately. So we have this time once a week, Saturday afternoon from 5 to 6.15, where we can sit and we can fellowship in God's word. I'm not sure that's enough either. This is something our elders have discussed. Is this enough of a time of discipleship? And our answer has always been no. This is one of the reasons that we support small groups, is that we, we, we think it's important to be a part of a small group. Because a small group is a place where you can grow and, and be challenged and, and fellowship with others corporately, focusing on God's word like together, coming together and sitting, sitting at the feet of the rabbi. But as I, I kind of alluded to in my opening, like we get so busy with ministry teams or just life commitments that one of the first things to go is our small groups, right? We were talking about at the elders and how, and I didn't do like a study of this, but it seems like our small group attendance has just kind of gone down <laughs> every semester. Just less participation, less interest. We canceled one of our small groups uh, this semester because it only had three attendees. Are we just not like interested in God's word? Do we not want to sit at the feet of the rabbi? Now I know we all go through different life happenings, right? We might have schedules one semester where we can't do it. We might have something come up. Maybe, maybe you don't like small groups. <laughs> like just something about that structure, that system just kind of is not comfortable to you and it's not conducive to your learning. Well, that's okay. <laughs> but come tell an elder so that we can like begin to process that information and we can figure out, okay, so if we're not going to be interested in small groups, what is another way that we can be sitting together in God's word? What's another way that we can be growing as disciples? We, we hope that people will be interested in small groups, but we understand everyone is different. So we will have another small group sign-up window in about a month, and I'd pray about it. You know, pray, pray about it and examine your own heart and say, Lord, is this a way that I should be sitting at the feet of Jesus? Now, I think one of the reasons that we don't have very consistent or high small group attendance is actually a good problem. And that's everyone's involved in a ministry team or a ministry, right? We're all serving, so we don't have another night. Like we're already busy on, on a Saturday night, so do we have time if we're on a ministry team on a Wednesday night? We don't have time for a small group on a Thursday night. And that's actually, that's a good problem to have. And maybe you feel like you're actually growing as a follower of Jesus through your ministry team. There's a time of prayer. There can be a time where you go through a book study that's good. I don't want to take that away from us. But the primary focus of a ministry team is not being. It is doing. 
The primary focus of a small group is being. Being with the teacher. Being with Jesus. So this is kind of just a, okay, here's a problem. I don't really have the solution. I'm just letting everyone know that maybe we as a church struggle with just sitting at the feet of Jesus. And so the first step in fixing a problem is just being aware of it and beginning to pray over it. How, Lord, can we make sure that we're a church that wants to sit at the feet of Christ? Mary is choosing the one thing that matters, Jesus himself, and I hope that we'll be challenged to be more with Jesus as well. There's a word of encouragement in here. Go back one. That Jesus loves both Martha's and Mary's. Sometimes when you hear a sermon on Mary or Martha, you can be like, well, I'm a Martha, therefore Jesus loves me less. Because Mary's a much better disciple. That's not true. That's not the gospel. (laughs) The gospel is not, well, if you perform better, Jesus loves you more. That's not the gospel. Jesus loves both Martha's and Mary's. Notice, Jesus does not say to Martha, 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 why aren't you Mary? (laughs) Jesus made Martha. Jesus designed Martha. Jesus gave her this heart that is passionate for service. Jesus wants Martha to be Martha. Jesus just doesn't want Martha to forget about him. (laughs) I think there is a way to serve, to use your gifts, to use your talents while prioritizing Christ, by making sure you have time in the word before you begin to to be busy for Jesus, by making sure that as you're serving, it's, it's unto the master, it's not all about just getting stuff done. There's another story that I was reading through of Mary and Martha. It's in the Gospel of John. And I read it through again this week. And a line stuck out to me. This story is the one where their brother Lazarus, he dies. And then Jesus comes and raises Lazarus from the dead. But there's a line uh, in the story that I wanted to highlight. It's this. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Now, which sister isn't named here? It's Mary. Now, we don't want to read over. We don't want to overread into that. It could just be the structure of the passage in the Gospel of John. But I think there's a reminder here that Jesus loves the Marthas, and Jesus loves the Marys. Jesus loves those people that want to serve Him, but sometimes forget who they're serving. And Jesus loves the Marys, and maybe you're a Mary. Well, Jesus, Jesus wants to correct your sin if you're walking away from this sermon and you're thinking, oh man, I am so much better than those Marthas. Jesus wants to correct any ego. Jesus loved Martha and, his, and her sister and Lazarus. So my big idea is do less for Jesus to be more with Jesus. Do less for Jesus to be more with Jesus. And this is a sermon I need to hear. Uh, Because I, like at the beginning, I feel like I'm more of a Martha. Now, Monica and I, is my closing uh, illustration here, but Monica and I are pretty excited. This summer, right, we're having a a baby boy. And one of the ways that we've been getting ready for him, one of the ways I've been getting ready for him is working on our nursery and our house, working on our baby room. So this involves, like, 
painting, sanding, uh, asking other people to help me do things, uh, <laughs> ceiling fans, doors, uh, and kind of getting the room ready. And it's taken like most of my, my Fridays. Now, what happens if in June, like it's the time for the baby to come, Mar- uh, not Martha, Monica comes up to me and says, oh, the baby's, the baby's coming, like, it's time, it's time to go to the hospital. And I'm like, that's great, but just, you go ahead without me, like, I'll, I'll be there soon, I gotta keep working on the baby room. <laughs> I gotta get the baby room, like, it's not quite there, there's just a few more things I wanna do. I'll see you at the hospital, it'll be okay. Go ahead. I don't think that would go over well. <laughs> Sometimes we do this to Jesus. Right? We're like, oh, we're going to do all these ministry plans that are just going to be perfect. They're going to be great. We're going to keep kind of making sure they're just perfect. And we're just going to let Jesus just like hide in the corner. I don't know about you, but I want to welcome my son in June. And I want to welcome Jesus into ministry. And the way we do that is by spending time with him, by focusing on him, by reading his word, by praying his word, by getting to know him, by doing less for Jesus so that we can be more with Jesus. You have my permission next time someone asks you to to do something for the church to say, you know, I can't. That time is reserved for time with Jesus. Now you actually have to spend that time with Jesus. (laughs) Let, let this be a challenge to all of us, myself included. Do less for Jesus to be more with Jesus. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for your son. Thank you that he loves us so much that he laid down his life for us. He rose again. So grateful for the life of Jesus. But he's still alive and I still want to get to know him. And I know that we want this too, that people in here, your flock, your, your congregation, your people, they want to get to know them too. So I pray that you would help us do that. Give us the conviction to change where we need to change and the encouragement to keep going where we're doing it right, where we're being with your son, where we're spending time with him. We love you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.